Because the camera was on me, all I could imagine is my family, my, my children, my grandchildren seeing me being shot. Welcome to the show today, folks. We have a very special guest, uh, Mike Coleman. Uh, Mike is a pastor in uh, South St. Louis who recently was carjacked at gunpoint. And we're going to hear uh, Mike's uh, encounter there, near encounter with death. And we're going to just delve in a little bit to Mike's background, uh, got involved in the ministry. And so welcome to the program, Mike. Thank you. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Thanks for your time. So uh, tell us, let's just start here. Uh, usually I start at the beginning and ask how you were brought up, but I really want to know. Uh, I think it was January 27th. You were just uh, going about your business, uh, driving to the church. Well, it was a Friday evening. We have a Narcotics Anonymous meeting that meets in the church, and I had opened up for them. And I left for a few minutes because I, I don't participate in that meeting. I let those folks handle their own business. Um, I went to get a pizza for one of the trustees who does some work on Friday nights, and he usually comes straight from his job. And I thought, well, maybe we can take a break and have something to eat and, and then do a little work. Uh, as I was coming back and I parked on the parking lot, uh, two young men uh, walked across the parking lot, which is not unusual for kids in the neighborhood to cut through the parking lot. And as I was putting the club on my car and getting the pizza out and opened the door, the two young men, one was 13, one was 15, uh, charged the car, put the gun in my face while I was still in the car and uh, demanded my keys, wanted my wallet, took my phone, smashed my phone. From there, they commandeered the car. They got inside. They couldn't figure out how to unlock the club. So they had to open the door and and uh, ask me to help them with that. And um, with the gun pointing at me, I was a little nervous. I wanted to keep my distance. And then they couldn't figure out how to start the vehicle. So I had to explain to them that the key goes into the dash, not into the steering column and to work all that. And uh, after that, they they uh, sped off. I, I ran into the church to get a to get a phone to call nine one one. That's the basics. There was a few things that happened in between there. I I did ask the, the children to be mindful that there was a camera on us. That I didn't want them to do anything stupid. Um, it was very alarming to hear such a small, thin voice demanding your keys and your phone. I would expect a robber to be more gruff, a little more manly, and. But because they were adolescents, uh, it was kind of like being robbed again by a child. You just didn't know what to expect. You knew that you were dealing with some inexperienced people. So it was it was very scary. What were some of the things going through your head when you, uh, you had that gun pointed in your face? Well, because the camera was on me, all I can imagine is my family, my my children, my grandchildren seeing me being shot on camera. And that was that was horrifying. I was not having pastoral thoughts. I was not thinking as a Christian man. I was I was very afraid and very, very angry. My brother who recently passed from COVID, and he always told me if you carry a weapon, you don't carry it for show. It's it's far protection and you don't draw it unless you use it. And in the 20 seconds that their back was turned to me, I stooped to a low of evil that I never thought I could, because had I had my weapon, I probably would have lost my ministry that night. I would have lost probably my position at the church, and I probably would have lost my respect to the community, because I was so afraid and so angry that I probably would have done the wrong thing. How has this changed your life? 
you know, knowing that in a moment of time, you know, life can uh, be altered. Well, this event brought it really close to home, made it personal. Like I just mentioned, I lost my brother who was only 58 and my father was 85 to COVID and both of them had health issues. So COVID gets responsibility for taking them, but uh, you don't know, 58, 85, you don't know when the Lord's going to call you home. I always tell people when your mansion's ready, he's going to put you in it. He's going to bring you to it. That's one way of looking at it. But this particular event, because of St. Louis and the, the violence that's going on taking place, I've lived 12 blocks from the church for 60 years. And um, when people say I've never seen anything like it, you you hear about it in Detroit. You hear about it in Washington, D.C. You hear about it in, in different neighborhoods and so forth. We, we watch it on TV, and it's made me realize how quickly I must start moving as far as ministry goes. And it's made me realize that you got to get out beyond the pulpit, beyond the, the pew, and you're going to have to get to the porches of, of the uh, neighborhood and really start, because here's the problem. Sin is not going anywhere. You can you can take all the guns off the street and you're going to have a knife problem. You can take all the knives off the street. You're going to have a rock or stick problem, a club problem. The, the problem is that sin exists. And these children have no hope. They're doing desperate things because people are lying to them above them, giving them the guns, giving them the opportunity to make money because I, my life could have been taken that evening. And because this is continuing around our town and throughout the, the bi-state area, the gospel is the answer. That is the, that is the answer. And we have to get to these children earlier in life. We cannot wait until they're already incarcerated or already have a mark against them. I believe you said that they didn't even know how to drive the car or even start the car. They drove down that ramp so fast that they lost control of it. I'm imagining that they didn't have the belts on, obviously. And then when they hit the ramp and turned hard left, it probably threw them out of their seats. And then when they tried to pull themselves back up into the seats, they just literally took the car and threw it in, into two vehicles on the side while smashing on the gas. It makes no sense. And it also looked like they learned how to drive on Grand Theft Auto video. Because in that game, you bounce off of objects when you hit it. Well, this time they didn't bounce off. They just crashed into it, and then they had to vacate the vehicle. What was your environment like uh, as a child growing up? My, my mom and dad were devoted uh, Roman Catholics, and uh, they took us to church every Sunday. I went to Catholic grade school. I had Catholic nun teachers. Um, but I have to be honest, I found my relationship with the Lord or was introduced to Protestant thinking in the public school. Uh, I joke about it. All the girls that I liked were either Baptist or Pentecostal. And so in order to get a date or to get to come over the house, you had to come to church first. And uh, these were very good looking, attractive women. So that was not a problem going to church. I heard the message of, of the gospel. It was a free will Baptist church. The first time I, I started to feel the spirit move in my soul. Uh, it was a Pentecostal church when I was declared by some of the youth in the church as being religiously retarded, which kind of hurt my feelings a little bit. They weren't far off from being wrong because I, I had based most of my thoughts on works that 51 versus 49 percent and being an Eagle Scout, being a senior prom king and class president, a goody two shoes. I thought God just loved me and blessed me. 
And he does, but I didn't, he wasn't doing it because I was a born again believer. And again, he kept placing all these beautiful people, all these Christian people in my path. So yeah, growing up as an altar boy in the Catholic church, growing up in the choir, and now being a Southern Baptist minister, God's got a sense of humor. Did you uh, did you go to Bible school? How did you evolve from uh, being a, a new Christian at, at that time to what was the development, the timeline there? I, I accepted Christ in 1987 after my uh, firstborn son was born. Uh, the room that I'm sitting in, the opposite corner that I'm sitting in, I was praying one day for a prayer of financial blessing. But God spoke to me clearly, and Matthew 6, 33 explains it, you know, seek ye first the kingdom of God. He already explained to me, he blessed me with a, a beautiful wife and a child and a home, and the blessings just aren't going to come until I get on, step out of darkness and come into the light. So as a Catholic, I accepted Christ in my front room. That morning, I was so excited, I ran to Catholic church, I ran to Catholic mass, and the message that morning was very short, but it spoke to me more than it ever had before. And I knew that God had done something. Uh, now, I did not move out of the Catholic Church right away because, again, I was so grounded on tradition. I didn't want to hurt mom and dad's feelings. Me and my wife were married in the Catholic Church, but I knew there was something going on. I couldn't get enough of our Christian radio stations, you know, the Chuck Swindolls and the Dr. David Jeremiah and uh, Yousef and uh, Ravi Zacharias. When he spoke, I mean, I would just weep because of what he was sharing. So it wasn't long before I found the little Baptist church down the street, and they taught me, they broke me in well. Um, my wife calls me preacher by mail because I, I took courses studying the King James Bible through Slidell, Louisiana, a Slidell Baptist Seminary, Dr. Paul Dabdu. And I could call him. I could talk to the instructors. It was, and I took my sweet time. It was another eight, nine years. The church licensed me in 2001. They ordained me in 2014. So there was a 13-year trial period there. Um, I think they were wondering if I was going to go back to the Catholic Church, and I promised them I wouldn't. It was a training process that over a decade and a half. I had so many opportunities to go to a bigger church. I had so many opportunities to move to nicer neighborhoods. I had a little radio program, and people would call me from all over to fill in and, and do things. But really, uh, kind of like Paul under house arrest, God has placed me here, and I'm, I'm sitting in a house that I've sat in the last 63 years. And the, the fields, the outside those doors, these doors, is so ripe for harvest. And I, I do believe as I get older, the opportunities become greater and better. And the, the studying uh, of the King James and all the wonderful teachers, pastors that have been in my way. My greatest mentor was a Pentecostal pastor across the street from our church who died after preaching a message just past August 7th. Uh, stepped off the platform, and, and God called him home right there in front of his church and his family. Again, this man could, he could give me biblical answers. He would share things with me. And God has placed many people in my life just like that in the last 20, 30 years. It's, it's been incredible how he's worked his way and, and has blessed me. You know, so often I think the body of Christ is so divided. You know, we may not agree on everything, but it's it's wonderful to hear the minister across the street that was Pentecostal. You're preaching at a Baptist church, and y'all got along just fine. Uh, that's that's great. 
His son took his spot. He has three sons. And I met his son when he was nine years old and, and seeing him move into his father's footsteps uh, and such big shoes to fill. But just, again, such a blessing because this young man has so much talent. He could go anywhere and do anything he wants, both musically and, you know, as far as a preacher goes. But he's committed to the neighborhood. I'm committed to the neighborhood. And it's not about denomination. It's about relationship with the Lord. And that's that's where we're at. It's a spiritual battle, and it's only going to be won by children of light confronting children of darkness and and pulling them into the light and ha- letting the Holy Spirit move them. How are y'all trying to reach the young people, uh, the churches there in that area? Is there anything specific that y'all are doing ministry-wise that uh, is geared toward them? Prior to this incident, we used to have Thursday and Tuesday night basketball for secular purposes just to reach out to the neighborhood and uh, so we're going to try to continue that right now our our basements in all three buildings were flooded and, and we lost all our asbestos tile and these buildings some of them are 90 years old so everything's up in the gym right now but once we get our gym clear we're going to go back to doing that Yearly, we tried to have a couple of of picnics and things out on on the parking lot. And again, combined with the Pentecostals because they had so many more younger people and uh, so much more energy than we did. Those are going to continue. And then here recently, I just recently attended an Urban League meeting, which is predominantly Black in North St. Louis. But North St. Louis and South St. Louis, thanks to desegregation, uh, and and thanks to you know uh, the political climate here, there's not a dime's bit of difference between North and South St. Louis. I mean, the violence, the the theft, the the problems. If there's an advantage, it's totally level. I see the uh, the guitar behind you there. Are you the, are you one of the uh, worship? You lead the worship in the church as well. I do. I uh, we have a piano player, and and on Wednesday nights, Sunday nights, when the if the piano player's not there, I, I lead with guitar. I have a little six string ukulele, and I carry that with me to nursing homes and people's homes, and we we just sing praise all the time. I like taking secular songs and turning them into gospel songs. I'll take a popular melody like 16 tons and, and change change the words that it has a gospel message. And people get a kick out of that because I sing those verses just like uh, Tennessee Ernie Ford would have sang it. And uh, we, we have a good time with music. We, we, we use it as a tool to, to knock down doors uh, and get people to um, open up and enjoy sharing the gospel, talking about God, uh, because it should be, it should be a blessing. I think people can relate to music and it does, it opens their heart in a way maybe than just beating them over the head with the Bible. I've heard what you're doing, uh, taking um, songs like that, uh, and uh, they say it's baptizing them or converting those songs and kind of giving them a little bit of a gospel message. Right. We, our family was blessed with many, many guitar pickers. They're all from down home, southern. They're all from outside of the St. Louis area. And so when we get together, we just entertain ourselves. And I would, I, I you know, we take turns singing verses. I just go ahead and, and change your verse of your cheating heart to God knows your heart. And <laughs> everybody starts looking at each other. Oh, my I'm not being disrespectful. I'm just, I'm, you like that melody? You like that style? Uh, listen to the words of this verse and then just, just change it on. 
Speaking of the church and uh, the environment, I know in Texas, uh, several churches have been targeted in the last few years where actually a gunman would come in and start shooting members of the congregation. I know a number of years back in Dangerfield, Texas, that happened, and I think quite a few people were killed. But it seems to be a trend, whether it's uh, fortunate or unfortunate, but a lot of churches now will have security guards or you know, members in the congregation, there may be, you know, depending on the size of the church, 20 people, or it could be 100 people that have concealed carry permits. What are your thoughts on that? Well, the, the church across the street from our church, uh, I, I love those folks, and they have, uh, Pastor Miller was one of them, they had individuals trained with concealed carry because, again, they didn't want someone walking in and, and hurting their loved ones. If the two young men who attacked me that night would have done that to any one of those four or five men that, that carried and turned their backs on their victim for 20 seconds, close your eyes for 20 seconds, count off 20 seconds. They would not have gone home. They would have not have left that scene uh, walking that evening. And that evening I, I vomited. I, I cried and vomited because the first thing I said to the police officers is, if I had, I would have taken those lives. And that just made me so sick to think that Satan can bring you down that fast to his level. And you can't think, I've had people say, why can't you not prosecute and forgive these individuals? Well, I'm like, Jesus, I can't forgive somebody until they ask to be forgiven. Don't ask me to do something that Jesus won't do. You ask Jesus to forgive you, he'll forgive you. That hasn't been a, that that hasn't been an opportunity for me yet, and I do want to get to that point. I really want to forgive these individuals and, and try to change their lives because I don't want them at thirteen uh, just ha- say their life's ruined that, that that it's over. I want them to go from Saul persecuting Christians to Paul lifting them and, and bringing them to know the Lord. And I think that's one of the reasons why this is going to work out for God's glory. Uh, because I stood in front of that camera expecting the protection of that camera, but that was the physical thing. I knew God's spiritual blessing was upon me that night. And I just wait, you just got to wait for the moment. And that moment I'm still waiting for as far as seeing what's going to come out for God's glory. I'm here. I'm able to serve another day. That's what I'm thankful for. But to answer your original question, unfortunately, sometimes violence has to be met with violence if you want to protect your children and grandchildren and and, and your your congregation. It's not about the offering. Let them, they can have the offering. Mm-hmm. They can have anything they want. It, it's about uh, individuals being able to give God praise and to lead others to Christ. And if if Satan thinks that he's going to stop Christians from doing that, uh, that he's going to run into some surprises himself because God's not going to be defeated. He hasn't been since Christ died on the cross and, and conquered the grave. It, it's a difficult question. You know, you would hate to have to pull the trigger on somebody in a church environment, but if they're walking in armed for bear, you know, wanting to kill members of the congregation because they don't like Christians or or they don't like God or it's kind of a different situation. It's the world we live in. It's the, like you said, it's the heart problem, isn't it? It is. It is a heart problem. And again, what's the difference between St. Louis and Dodge City 150, 200 years ago? There's no difference because 
sin still is sin, and it's it's not going to change. I live in a city which one political party, and I won't pick on that party, but they've been in charge for three, four decades. Uh, actually, in my case, 60 years. So they've been in charge. There's never been any opposition. So they don't have to do what's right because they're in power. They just do whatever they want to stay in power. And Again, this starts at the local level, it goes to the state level, and it goes to the federal level. Now, at the federal level and the state level, yeah, you got two political parties, and usually it goes back and forth. But as long as we keep God out of the conversation, as long as we keep his standards out of the conversation, then you can expect the standard on the earthly situation to be lowered and lowered and lowered until eventually you're not going to have any order whatsoever. Yeah, and probably the 13-year-old kid probably has no role models. Obviously not coming from a uh, a godly home like you know you had the benefit of and I had the benefit of. That that that's true. This this woman who turned her son in, God bless her. I lift her up in prayer. So thankful cuz she probably did save his life and gave him his only chance to change it. And she's a working mom, she's a nurse, she's got three other children. I can't imagine doing a job as a nurse and then coming home to four children and not having a man or a disciplinarian. She's got to do it all. It's a blessing if a child has a mother and a father so that they can see the characteristics and the blessings that come from the two, which is the way God created and wanted marriage to be and wanted the family to have. The school districts are not doing much to help either. No, I graduated in the public school system uh, 45 years ago, and uh, I, busing when it took place here, everybody complained, a lot of people left, because you buy a home in a neighborhood because you like the bank, you like the stores, you like the school, you like the church. And when you start telling people, well, you can't afford this, but we're going to send you over here, money's got to go for gas and tires and got to go for drivers and insurance, and then it's got to go for maintenance. And all that money comes away from what should go to the, the student. Plus, you have um, with the way it's set up with city and state and federal, you got all these bureaucrats and folks that are earning a great deal of money, and they're never in the classroom. So the school system uh, is getting farther and farther away from teaching children how to be independent and to do for themselves. And that's starting to take a toll. People are starting to see that. Well, Pastor, what what can uh, what can our audience do for you? Well, I appreciate the prayers because uh, that's what keeps me motivated, keeps me moving, and and they're they're felt. They truly are felt, and it's just not in this one case. I mean, this happens hundreds of times across our nation each day. A lot of them aren't publicized. I've I gotten so much publicity because we happen to have a good picture of what took place. It went everywhere. It went East Coast, West Coast, and so forth. And again, I'm thankful for the opportunity to share this. And I truly do believe that grace and mercy, after the person has been punished for what they've done, grace and mercy should truly be applied. Because that's what happens. A lot of times our criminals will go back to criminal life because they don't feel forgiven. They don't feel wanted. They don't feel needed. And again, no hope. So you get grace, you get mercy, you got someone who's willing to give you hope. Then you can start serving. Uh, you can start serving a loving God and, and doing what he has for you and, and receive his blessings. 
So yeah, if your if your listeners and viewers will, if they'll continue to lift up all these families, all these single moms trying to raise these children, all these homes that don't have God in it, just praying for revival. Well, in closing, uh, if you have something on your heart, just uh, speak a word to the to the youth out there that uh, that you might want them to hear. Uh, growing up, I would go to the library because so much information, anything you wanted to learn about, this there. Today, you don't have to go to the library. If you have a cell phone, if you have a computer, you can find so much. My point, though, is is whatever you're looking up, whatever you're wanting to do, ask yourself. If this gives God glory, if you can do this and be a blessing, not just to yourself, but to others, because if once you have a, a goal, once you have a purpose in life, you wake up much happier. You have, you're, I don't know if uh, NFL or an NBA or a, a major league baseball player that gets up and says, well, let's go out and do mediocre work because I really don't care to win a championship. They all go out because they want to be their very best. You may not make the the NFL or, or Major League Baseball or NBA, but that doesn't mean you can't do your very best and have purpose in life. And that doesn't mean God won't bless you richly for your efforts. So you really do have to think about not just what's good for yourself, but for your family, for your neighborhood, but mostly what's good for the kingdom of God. And that's when Matthew 6, 33 kicks in. If you seek the kingdom of God first, God will bless you. Keep reading the passage of 634. He'll bless you and he'll richly, richly lift you up. That's what I would hope the youth would take because they're not going to hear it in school. They're not going to hear it on TV. And unless they stumble across a broadcast like yours or take the time to listen to Christian radio and speakers, they're truly, truly missing out. It's not about the here and now. It's about the everlasting, the ever after. Amen.